Welcome to Tiger Talk, the podcast for Mercy High School in Middletown, Connecticut, where we talk about everything Mercy, including students, faculty and staff, alumni, and leaders in our community. Learn more about Mercy High School at our website, mercyhigh.com. everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Tiger Talk, the podcast that is all about Mercy High School in Middletown, Connecticut. And I'm really happy today to be joined by Patrick Flaherty, who is the Acting Director of Research at the Connecticut Department of Labor. Hello, Patrick, and welcome. Thanks for having me. This is fantastic. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm also joined by a few students from Mercy, and I would love for them to introduce themselves. So uh, hello, Lily. Hi, Mr. Zhang. My name is Lily, and I am a part of Future Business Leaders of America Club here at Mercy High. That's great. Thank you so much. And Brooklyn's also a part of FBLA. Hi, thank you for having me today. (laughs) Thanks, Brooklyn. And uh, hi, Maddie and Julia. Could you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Maddie. And I'm Julia. And we're in Mercy's business and personal finance class this year. Thank you for having us. Thank you for for joining. I'm really glad that we have these students uh, who are joining us because Patrick um, knows a lot about Connecticut's economy and how it is moving and how it has been affected by the pandemic. And so I think it'll be really great to just talk uh, talk about these things and, and economics in general. So I thought it would be good to first talk about the economy in terms of the pandemic, because that's really, I think, what's on our minds and has been on our minds for the past year so far, right? So we know that the pandemic has hurt certain industries and boosted other industries. So, so how does that, how does that work? Well, you know, this pandemic has been very different than other types of recessions we've seen in the past. So the traditional kind of recession is often driven by real estate and construction and by manufacturing. You know, as demand falls, those industries generally t- tend to fall first and fall harder. And things like restaurants actually usually stay, end up being okay in that people still go out to eat. And you might see some high-end restaurants losing some business, but it's often then picked up by middle and low-income restaurants So, so or low-priced restaurants. So Dunkin' Donuts used to love to say that they're recession-proof because uh, when the economy is great, people have plenty of money to buy coffee. And when the economy is bad, people who used to go to fancy schmancy Fancy places go to Dunkin' Donuts instead. But then the pandemic came and it was illegal to go to Dunkin' Donuts for a very short period of time because we weren't allowed to go anywhere. And so suddenly the quote unquote recession proof businesses got slammed very hard. And in fact, the, the restaurant industry was the hardest hit of any in the state, losing tens of thousands of jobs. And, uh, and as I said, very unusual because that's not how things usually worked in the past. Really, every industry was affected. Interestingly and surprisingly to many, including myself, uh, healthcare lost a lot of jobs. And at first you think, how could that be? Everybody's, it's a pandemic. Everybody's going to the hospital. Well, people stopped getting their teeth cleaned and all the dentist offices closed. Uh-huh. And that's a lot of jobs. And people were delaying their elective surgeries. They were afraid to go to the hospital because they didn't want to get COVID. And so, you know, a lot of employment and healthcare declined. Now that's, Again, different from previous recessions, because we've never seen that before. You know, it's obviously a concern in the short term, but in the long run, it's not a problem. People are going to get their teeth cleaned again. People who have been procrastinating getting their whatever done, 
it may even cost more now in the future because they've delayed it. And so though they're going to be, there's going to be a big spike uh, in my opinion, in terms of healthcare employment demand, because everybody's going to need to get their, this or that fixed because uh, they've been putting it off for a year. And uh, suddenly, you know, it's going to be a big driver. Now, there are other industries that's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Like, have people learned that they don't need to get their hair cut as often? Um, I have no idea. I think they're going to get their teeth cleaned again. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder if the people who used to get their hair cut every month or something like that, uh, who've now gone a year without it, are they going to now do it every other month or every third month? That could be, a, so there could be some long-term changes that will have impact on certain industries. You know, this actually reminds me of a question I know Julia had about um, cyclical versus structural. This might be a good time to ask it, actually. Okay. Yeah. um, I was wondering if you can explain the difference between structural and cyclical effects. Sure. So a cyclical effect is usually, you know, basically the idea that when the economy is going into recession and so people have less money, there are specific industries that are often hurt. And I mentioned one sort of high-end restaurants. Travel would be another where people just can take fewer vacations. But then once they start getting having money again, they're going to go back on vacation. They're still going to fancy restaurants again. So we see industries like that going up and down. A structural change, however, is a more permanent change. And it could be because of a technology change. So for example, when I was in college, I used to have a lot of cassette tapes. If you are a cassette tape manufacturer, uh, you have no employees anymore and you do not make any anymore. And uh, even DVDs, who buys DVDs? We're all streaming. So, so there are some things that are changing permanently, like uh, because of technology or, and this is one we're living through right now, is around preference. So retail, retail is an interesting one right now because retail had a, was in a structural decline. It was shrinking. Uh, as people were starting to shop more online. This was extremely accelerated by the pandemic, but it's, some of that has already started to come back. So retail has actually regained 84% of the jobs that it lost during the two months of the pandemic, but it's still on a long-term downward slide. I think that that's a structural change in general. That uh, and I, it'll be interesting to see what happens when everything reopens again. I think a lot of folks myself included, have gotten very used to things being delivered to our house. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's another structural change. The demand for drivers and delivery people and warehousing, I think, is a permanent change. It may have been accelerated by this temporary pandemic, but I don't think those jobs are going to go away. I think we've gotten very pleased to have uh, folks come to our house and bring us our this or that and our smiley boxes or our restaurant meals being delivered. And I think that that's that's probably a, a permanent change uh, and a, a structural change. That's great. Thank you. And I know Maddie had a question too about housing and, and you already mentioned a little bit, Patrick. So, Yeah, I was just wondering how has the housing market been affected during the pandemic? Well, very interesting. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of a two-edged sword here. So Again, I, you know, I, I've been around, I've been studying the Connecticut economy a long time, as you know, Alyssa. So I have seen some ups and downs. So one of the changes that occurred in recent years that was very surprising is that the amount of multifamily housing was actually, uh, even in a couple of years, there were more units being built in multifamily housing than in single family homes. 
a huge change from the way t- Connecticut traditionally had been for decades, where single family homes were, you know, 80%, 75% of all housing units being built in Connecticut for years, year after year after year were single family homes. We had a few years where the multifamily market c- construction was greater than the single family market. And this was uh, the story, which may or may not be true, was that the millennials are more interested in renting and the millennials are less interested in buying a home. Now, maybe they're le- maybe it was interest, maybe it was student debt, maybe it was that entry-level wages were, were not as high as they had been when their parents had gotten out of school. Who knows? But for whatever reasons, there clearly was a shift in demand towards multifamily housing. Since the pandemic, things have gotten a little, that story is changing a bit. There's been a lot of evidence that that folks in rental housing in particular have been having a difficult time paying their rent. Now, it's not a surprise when you consider that this particular recession has most heavily hit the lower wage industries. I already mentioned the restaurants uh, and retail of two sectors that don't really pay high wages meaning that their workers are more likely to be renting than owning. And so the pressure on the multifamily market has been extraordinary. On the other hand, we've seen that there are a lot of other people who have been living in other places, for example, New York City, who have decided that living in a big city is not necessarily what they're interested in because they're afraid of disease being spread. And they've learned they can work remotely that there's no need to necessarily live, you know, a few subway stops from the office. You could live 50 miles from the office and still go to work every day without leaving your beautiful home in Connecticut. And so we've seen an increase in demand for single family housing in Connecticut. So the the housing market, which had been very, very steady with some cyclical ups and downs for many years, sort of turned on its head in recent years. And now it's hard to tell, is it turning back on its head again. You can predict anything except the future, except we're not even really sure what the present is right now. Uh, Because to say that we've never seen a year like this before is an exaggeration. We've never seen a century like this before. Uh, And sometimes it feels like a century because I really can't wait to get out of my house. Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Thank you very much. Short question, and I babble on for hours. I'm no, sorry. it's it's really interesting though because we've seen that phenomenon where you've got more and more people wanting to move to the cities. Yes, and there seemed to be a lot of interest in kind of walkable living cities. Yes, but now people want space and they right. need home offices, and so now is there. How is that? Is that trend going to pan out over time? Yeah, it's really hard to know because, you know, with, with, you know, you know, certainly it's not hard to imagine what's happened, right? You lived, you wanted to live in a a, a big city. You wanted to be part of the action. You're living in some uh, very nice, perhaps apartment building. Right. But then you're told you need to stay six feet away from everybody. And you walk out of the hall uh, into your, uh, the hallway of your apartment to get on the elevator and, how are you ever going to stay six feet away from your neighbors I don't know. when you're all trying to ride the elevator uh, at the same time? So suddenly the appeal of urban living, living has changed and it's impossible to know whether that's a permanent or a just a temporary phenomenon because of the pandemic. Sure. Now, 
the people that have spent all the money to buy their nice new home in Fairfield County, Connecticut, they're not going to be moving back anytime soon. Right. That's a pretty big chunk of change to put down for a temporary thing. So I, I do think that, and I just complained about not leaving, leaving my house, but I also have to say that a lot of employers and myself included as a manager have discovered that it's easier to manage remote workers than I would previously have thought. Mm-hmm. When we were first sent home and told we had to work remotely, I was very concerned that the whole department that I managed would fall apart. And I was completely wrong. It has not fallen apart. Our team has stepped up. And I, there's evidence that that's happened throughout the country. Right. You know, yes, the Office of Research is particularly exceptionally and wonderful, but it turns out there are a lot of other exceptional and wonderful, uh, maybe they're not that exceptional. Even the regular old worker is still doing their job every single day, even though they're not actually going into an office, but they're sitting at home. And so it's, a, it's something that a lot of us have learned. Uh, we've learned how to manage. We've learned how to work from home. Mm-hmm. And now that we have these skills, there may not be a desire to go back to the to the office again. So to follow up on the housing question, commercial real estate, that's an area that I would be very concerned about. Sure. If I owned office buildings that had tenants that were things like banks, insurance companies, I would be very concerned. The bank will be fine. The insurance company will be fine. But their employees may not be all working in the office anymore. And so when those leases expire, they may not be renewing them. I I, I I hate to be a downer on commercial real estate, but I do think that that is a a phenomenon we're going to see, a contraction of the amount of office space per office worker is going to shrink dramatically. And it's because the office worker is not going to be in the office five days a week or 52 weeks a year. They may be in the office one day a week, two days a week, and be working remotely uh, the rest of the time. Right. That's so true. Um, So yeah, you mentioned your research department. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your job entails at the Department of Labor. Sure. So we basically have, uh, well, we have a lot of functions, but I'll think of three off the top of my head. One, we produce the statistics. So we we have statistical programs that have a very uh, regular rhythm to them. We collect data from households and mostly from businesses. We compile that data and we publish it. Second, we want to provide uh, support to folks who are looking for jobs and who are trying to plan their careers. So we have a number of online tools to provide people with interest, uh, with information about job postings, mm-hmm. about employers. Uh, we have an employer database, which has contact information for every employer in the state of Connecticut. And we encourage job seekers to use that. Uh, we have information about education and training programs. Every school, every training program in the state, uh, we have data on that. So everything from Yale University to cosmetology schools, and all the training provided through the labor department. Uh, we have uh, through a searchable website. So we have one of my staff keeps that uh, maintained and up to date. It's updated every week. So, and then we provide information to our fellow state agencies and to policymakers. So, particularly like during the legislative session, we get requests all the time. Some of them are very simple, like there's a bill to require maybe some kind of employee benefit to all employers of companies with 70 employees or more. So they want to know how many companies have 70 employees or more. And 
right? and how many employees do they employ? So they have some idea of uh, what the, the scope is, or we're thinking of raising the minimum wage. How many people make the minimum wage now? And what kind of an increase would that mean for them if we were to raise the minimum wage? So we get a lot of policy kind of questions from the legislature, from the governor, from other state agencies, and we respond to those. We try to help job seekers and people who are planning their careers. And then we just produce the general statistics that we're required to produce by the, by the federal government. But so, they're not just general statistics. They're not just, they are the most fascinating numbers they you've are. ever looked at. Absolutely. For Elizabeth. economists, it's gold. <laughs> it is gold. It is gold. I agree. I agree. As a data user for so many years, to be on the production side is really, it's, it's an interesting change. Uh, and, and it's good to actually see it from both perspectives. And I think it, it's very helpful to have had the knowledge of being the user to think about how people are going to use this as we're mm -hmm. producing the, the statistics and the numbers. So that's great. So for a, either a high school student or a college student, where would you suggest they go on your website for information about either internships or jobs or things, summer, summer jobs, things like that? Well, you know, the hardest, the hardest thing to do and the most effective thing to do in terms of that kind of a situation is to think about what kind of employer you think you m might hire you. Now, you can try to figure that out in, in some, way, some way. Some of you may just may be interested in saying, hey, you know, I think I want to be an accountant. Maybe you're not ready to be an accountant yet, but you can go on our website, go to the employer database, just click in accountants and see what companies hire accountants. Mm -hmm. And it generates a list and we can let you search by town. So you say, okay, you know, I'm only interested in you know, employers in the Middletown area. So you mm -hmm. could pick Middletown and maybe a few of the towns in the surrounding area and just get a list of companies that might hire accountants. And just quite frankly, it's it takes a lot of courage, but it is the most effective thing to do. Just start calling them up and say, hi, I'm a high school student. I'm interested in working for your company. Do you have any openings? Recognizing that a majority of times you're going to get a rejection. That's the hard part. But if you can persevere you will succeed. Somebody will, will say, come on in, let's have an interview because they're going to be so impressed by your willingness to just pick up the phone or send an email. So we provide that kind of contact information. We have an interest profiler. So if you're just not even sure that you want to be an accountant or you have no idea what you want to be, uh, we have little survey questions that'll just in an online setting sort of point you into a list of occupations and then you can start exploring those. And then uh, in addition to that, uh, we have, I mentioned already, the education and training connection. So if you find you're interested in being an accountant, you realize you don't have all the credentials and you want to know what schools, what colleges, what training programs are available, you can put accountant into our employer and training connection and you can get a list of all the schools that have accounting programs. Now, most of them do, but uh, it also gives you the contact information, again, from the universities, the community colleges, uh, everywhere else. In fact, I just used accountant as an example. And, you know, University of Hartford was one of the ones that came up. And, you know, we can't promise you that you can get into the University of Hartford, but we have their website and I know they have an admissions office. And I, I know the University of Hartford would love to hear from students at Mercy High School who might be <laughs> interested in going to college there. Uh, so you know, and we can at least help you find the right contact information. You probably already knew the University of Hartford was there and didn't need us to tell you that. But just in case, uh, yes, they have an accounting program. And yes, they have an admissions office. 
and we can give you the contact information to find it. That's great. Thank you. I know uh, Brooklyn had a question about just how, how Mr. Flaherty got interested in, uh, in economics. Brooklyn. Yeah. So we were wondering, like, first off, what courses in high school, if any, would you recommend us to take if we wanted to pursue a future in economics? Well, you know, whether it's economics or a lot of other fields, there's no such thing as taking too many math classes. I mean, it's, it's, it's really whether you're thinking about technology, whether you're thinking about biomedicine, whether you're thinking about economics, whether you're thinking about engineering, uh, there's just a, such a range of fields where uh, if you take math classes, you'll be fine. Now, I was a whiz in math in, math in high school, just, uh, just to let you know. I took every math class in high school that I could. But then when I got to college, I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer. So I took a lot of different you know, philosophy classes and that kind of thing. And I enjoyed college very much. And then I graduated. And by the time I graduated, I really wasn't that interested in going to law school right away. I thought I would work for a few years and then go to law school. And so I just needed a job. And I basically did what I just described. And I got hired by a stock brokerage firm. And I was a wire operator, which just meant I was typing on a teletype machine. I also typed very fast. I was a, a wire operator working at a stock brokerage firm. And I worked there for a year. And there was an opening at this bank across the street. And I worked there for a year doing a similar kind of work as in the stock firm. And then the assistant at the bank's economist quit. She got a better job somewhere else. And there was an opening internally that I applied for. And then 10 days after I started working as the assistant economist, the economist quit. He got a better job. And I was suddenly acting chief economist Holy cow! at, at Connecticut National Bank. So I kind of lucked into economics. But... Having taken all that math in high school really saved me. It's funny, as much as I had this fancy college degree and all of that, it was the math I took in high school that really set me on the right path to be able to pursue economics. And if I hadn't had that, I would have been dead in the water. I would have ended up having to go to law school. And instead, I, uh, and nothing wrong with going to law school, except for we have a lot of lawyers out there. Uh, it's a pretty saturated uh, field at the moment. Uh, it was uh, fortuitous that I had enough of a math background that I could learn all the computer software programs you needed to learn. And then I ended up going back to graduate school and uh, getting a, a, a real economics education. That's, that's my story. And, but I really, again, go back, you know, when you look at what's happening right now in terms of coding and programming, and mm -hmm. not necessarily all of those jobs needing college degrees, but all of them need some math skills. So newsflash, if you want to do computer science, there's a lot of math. There you is. want to do economics, there's a lot of math. You want to do engineering, there's a lot of math. Even being a nurse these days requires quite a bit of math. Uh, I shouldn't say even being a nurse. A nurse is a very important profession. I don't mean it that way. It's just that sometimes there's a stereotype of a nurse as someone who like is changing the beds or something like that. No, a nurse is a highly trained medical professional who needs a lot of math. And you are not going to get your BS, your, your the Bachelor of Science in Nursing without some very good math skills. So that would be my advice. Take math classes. Yeah, I, I took a lot of math classes as well, which and definitely you helped, now. and look which definitely now. helped me get through my get my, through my career at this point. Now I get to talk about how wonderful math classes are. And Lily, I know that you had uh, 
a really good question too uh, about about the pandemic and and how the state is is handling some of the efforts. Right, right. So I had um one question about those cyclical industries that you were talking about, um, and like what you see the future of industries such as hospitality and marketing and travel, and if you think it would be wise to pursue these careers as being industries that really vary so extremely just based on economic productivity and how Connecticut also has handled the pandemic during this time too, compared to other states? Well, I mean, there's no question that it's a tough time in those industries right now, but fortunately, the government has stepped in. And so, you know, there is everything from the big airlines getting some big uh, subsidies to the former food server, who is now getting not only unemployment benefits, but supplemental benefits, you know, the new Biden program has really beefed up some of the the payments that folks are going to get. So I think that the folks in that industry are going to be are going to be fine. And I think in the end, we're all going to be back traveling. I know, you know, all the trips that were canceled uh, for myself, I was supposed to go to a wedding in California, we're supposed to have a big family reunion, all of those things are eventually going to happen again. And I'll be back on the plane and I will definitely back be back in restaurants again. So I do, I wouldn't be too concerned about employment. Uh, in fact, right now we're, we're aware that there are restaurants that are planning to open. They're having a very tough time finding people. And I think it's because the, the employees who are tend to be younger are the la- last in line to get vaccinated, uh, which is perfectly appropriate policy. You know, they, we have an age-based system for eligibility in Connecticut and they're perhaps less willing to go back to work in a public-facing job because of the uh, their concerns. So that's going to work itself out. My caution would be it is not a particularly high-paying industry. So can you have a good career? We will have good job security. Well, there's never job security, but you'll always be able to find a job. There's always restaurants that are hiring. There's always hotels that are hiring. The airlines, one goes out of business, another one is staffing up because because these industries... The demand for employment is, we call it derived demand. It's derived from the demand for the whatever it is they're selling. And people are going to fly again. People are going to be going out to dinner again. People are going to be getting married and having receptions. I mean, all of the things that have really been shut down over the past year, that is all going to come back. So uh, in terms of job security and being able to find a job, absolutely. And if you lose the job you have at the hotel that closed, it's because an even fancier hotel opened up across the street and you'll be able to walk across the street and get another job. We worry about the cyclical part of the hospitality industry. I would think about the wage. And we have lots of detailed wage data on our website. If you want to look up and see what different occupations make on average. Uh, All that data is there. So you can Mm. make a a wise decision. We should do that at an FBLA meeting. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. For sure. (laughs) We can look at all of the DOL data. Absolutely. That's what it's there for. This has been fascinating. Just hearing about kind of the economy as a whole and also the resources that the Connecticut Department of Labor provides for people who are looking for information on either educational programs or employment opportunities. Uh, and then also to, to hear also just someone who has such great experience and expertise, just how you got started and what interested you and, and how that career path kind of made some twists and turns. It's really good advice for our high school students too, is you want to have technical skills, and then you also kind of need the ability to 
think and be creative and also flex because these structural changes are going to come up or you might get this, you might get an economic shock, like a pandemic that kind of seems to come out of nowhere. And you have to be able to kind of, you know, flex with that and, and, and be able to recover from it, which many people do. And I know, uh, I know the students you were talking to today will be able to handle that with great finesse. I am sure. Good. Thank you so much, Patrick, for joining us today. And and to uh, Maddie and Julia and Lily in Brooklyn, thank you for your questions uh, for Mr. Flaherty today. And uh, yeah, I look forward to checking out the DOL website with all of you. And to all of our listeners today uh, at the Tiger Talk podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Tiger Talk podcast. Listen to the latest episodes at mercyhigh.com or subscribe to get the latest podcasts delivered to your device either at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify.